First Timothy chapter 4, verse 11 to 16. I want you to take your Bible and turn there. There's a Bible in front of you if you don't have one. Uh, as you turn there, I do want to welcome. We have a new little one with us this morning. I don't know if you guys can smell it. Some of you ladies can smell newborns. There's one over there. Johnny and Morgan Willis had their third child, and Rodney's holding her very proudly over there, little Macy. And so we're excited about that. I'm glad they're doing well. Hopefully our church family are ministering to you during this time. Have no sleep or any of that stuff. <clears throat> I do not envy that at all anymore. You know, people always were like, oh, you're going to miss the days of bottles and all this. Hasn't happened yet. <laughs> I think it's a lie. I don't think they were right in that. <clears throat> Anyways, 1 Timothy chapter 4. Verse 11 to 16 is where we'll be. We want to jump back into 1 Timothy. I've enjoyed our time away from it, looking at uh, Palm Sunday, the last week of Christ's life, also his death, his burial, his resurrection, as we focused on all of that over the, over the past uh, week. Uh, but we need to get back into 1 Timothy, uh, where, where we have been, and so I want to do that this morning. Uh, before we get into our section, though, verse 11 to 16, I, I want to read, beginning in verse 1, <clears throat> since we have took some time off, just to help us remember uh, where we are at right now. So look at chapter 4, verse 1. It says, Now the Spirit expressly says that in latter times some will depart from the faith by devoting themselves to deceitful spirits and teachings of demons, through the insincerity of liars whose consciences are seared, who forbid marriage and require abstinence from foods that God created to be received with thanksgiving by those who believe and know the truth. For everything created by God is good, and nothing is to be rejected if it is received with thanksgiving, for it is made holy by the word of God and prayer. If you put these things before the brothers, you will be a good servant of Christ Jesus, being trained in the words of the faith and of good doctrine that you have followed. Have nothing to do with the reverent silly myths. Rather, Train yourself for godliness, for while bodily training is of some value, godliness is of value in every way, as it holds promise for the present life and also for the life to come. The saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance, for to this end we toil and strive, because we have our hope set on the living God, who is the Savior of all people, especially of those who believe. Now if we stop there, we just need to remember that in 1 Timothy, Paul's writing to Timothy, who's the pastor of a church in Ephesus, and he is telling them to continue to fight against false teachers. There were teachers within the church who had rose up, and they were teaching false truths. As we saw there in chapter 4, they were saying things like marriage should be forbidden, that that shouldn't happen. Uh, they were beginning to focus on certain foods that shouldn't be eaten. They were telling people that you need to abstain from these things if you are really going to be a Christian. Uh, they were saying, uh, starting to focus on things that weren't that important, it seems. It said focusing on myths and genealogies. Uh, and so Paul's telling Timothy, you need to keep your focus on what matters. That's what you need to do. Don't focus on these other things that are not important, but focus on what is important. And we notice this, especially in verse 10, where he said, for this we toil and strive. Right? It's a work that needs to be done. And why do we do this, though? Why do we do this work? Why is it worth it? Well, because we have our hope set on the living God. And that's what makes it worth it. Because God is alive, because of what he has done, that's what makes this work so important. And that's why we must make sure that we stay focused on the things that we are supposed to stay focused 
in. And so Paul is encouraging Timothy here to, to keep doing that. You know, it's, it's hard when you see somebody and their life is going in a direction that you think, this is, this is good for them, but then they, they lose focus. They lose focus, and it's sad to hear about those things. It can also even be frustrating. I think it was this week I saw one of the most talented basketball players in the country, a, a, a student, a, a high schooler. I think he's like, he's like top 25 in the nation. Just got arrested on five felony accounts of gun possession. And you look at that and you think, what are you doing? Right? You can get frustrated at that and you think, what are you doing? Why wouldn't you just stay focused on what you are good at in the direction that you are going? You just, you just ruined everything because you lost focus. Right? You had this bright future ahead of you. All these possibilities. And because you lost focus and did something foolish, now it's, now it's gone. That's what Paul's urging Timothy here in this church. Don't lose focus. That's what these people are doing. These false teachers are starting to lose focus. And this is a serious thing because if you lose focus, you're going to completely go astray from what God has called us as a church to be doing. And so Paul's like, Timothy, you have to make sure that the focus, the main things stay center and do this continually within the life of the church. And so we're going to see this argument continue to unfold in the rest of chapter 4 as we, as we finish this chapter this morning. So look with me in, chapter, in verse 11, and we'll read, like I said, to the end of the chapter here. Paul says, Command and teach these things. Let no one despise you for your youth, but set the believers an example in speech, in conduct, in love, in faith, in purity. Until I come, devote yourself to the public reading of Scripture, to exhortation. To teaching. Do not neglect the gift you have, which was given you by prophecy when the council of elders laid their hands on you. Practice these things. Immerse yourself in them so that all may see your progress. Keep a close watch on yourself and on the teaching. Persist in this, for by so doing, you will save both yourself and your hearers. That last verse is very important, isn't it? And we'll get to that today. Now, as I go through these, I'm going to be talking about Timothy uh, specifically. Uh, Paul talking to Timothy, though, is also speaking about pastors specifically. But for all of us as Christians this morning, there are truths here I think that we need to see. And so I hope that that will happen as I go through these. In verse 11, Paul says something pretty simple. Command and teach these things. Now, it seems as if this verse is directly correlated with the previous section of chapter 4, which is why I read the chapter saying, command and teach these things. Well, what? Well, teach against the false doctrines of the false teachers. Stand up to them, right? Make this an important part of your job. Timothy, again, is reminded here of what is important in his ministry, and that is the truth. Beyond all other things, what's most important for Timothy in this church is to preach and teach the truth of God's word. And what's, what we need to notice here is he says, command and teach teach these things. This is strong language. Command and teach these things. Preaching God's word is not something that is giving people a suggestion. This morning as I stand before you doing my best to preach God's word, I need you to understand this. I'm not giving you a suggestion this morning. I'm giving you a command this morning. Now I know that when I say that, some of you are like, who do you think you are? 
I don't really think I'm anybody, if I'm being honest with you. But that's what preaching is. Preaching God's word isn't some suggestion to say, you know, this is something for you to contemplate and think about, and yeah, I just, I kind of hope maybe you'll listen to it. That's, that's not preaching. Paul's telling Timothy here, your job is to go before that church, and you need to tell them the truth and what they need to be doing. No ifs, ands, or buts about it. Now, there's going to be many who are going to go away and not listen, and that's fine. You have that right to do that. But as a, as a church family, as you're coming under the preaching of the word of God uh, by the man that you have called to be your pastor, which we'll get to here in a moment of what Paul says to Timothy here, this time together is not just like a, a time to, oh, let's just hear what Pastor Tim thinks about things. That's not what this is. This is a time for us as a church to come together under the word of God and to be commanded and taught according to his word so that we know how to live, so that we know how to be a part of the kingdom of God, to know what God has done for us and to be reminded of his truth. That's one of the great things about uh, celebrating Easter how we did is you take that time to be reminded about the gospel truths of which we need to hear about regularly. We need to constantly be hearing about what God has done for us in Christ the great love that he has showed for us in Christ and how he has allowed us to now be in Christ as believers. And all the things that are his are ours because of God's love and grace in our life. And so we want to gather together to hear this, but it's not weak language here. Verse 11 is very strong. Command and teach these things, right, of what needs to be done. Now, there was a challenge, though, in Timothy's church, and we see that in verse 12 where it says, let no one despise you for your youth, but set the believers an example in speech and conduct and love and faith and impurity. Now, apparently, one of the things that was happening in this church is Timothy was being attacked because of his age. And there were people within the church who saw this as a hindrance, as some sort of a, a hindrance of the fact that what people say is at this time, Timothy was probably, I don't know, 30 to 40 years old. That's, that's what people would say, scholars would say, uh, somewhere within there. This is a section that a lot of people would go to with youth and want to preach that to youth. At this point, he's older than that age. He's probably, like I said, somewhere between 30 and 40. And people within the church were thinking, this is too young. What can this man teach us? Maybe this is what the false teachers were saying to try to combat Timothy. And so I would imagine that that would put its toll on him that he would find that to be a struggle and maybe even start believing himself. Yeah, who am I? I don't have much experience. And here I am trying to stand before these people and say that those guys are wrong and I'm right. And maybe, maybe they're actually right. They're older. And maybe that also equals wiser. But Paul encourages Timothy here and saying, do not let anyone despise you for your youth. You see, This still is a pretty common practice today, quite honestly, where age is uh, looked at as a negative for being too young in, especially when it comes to a ministry context or uh, being a pastor. I've definitely went through that in my life. I could speak to many examples of that, of sitting in meetings with other pastors who are double my age at the time and look at me as if that is true, right? And, And so... Honestly, I like those meetings. I'd just sit in silence. I didn't have to say anything, just kind of be there. They didn't want to hear what I had to say anyways, right? But it can weigh on you. 
It can weigh on you to where you start to doubt, am I actually doing the right thing? And so no doubt Timothy had went through that. Like maybe these people are right. Maybe, maybe I shouldn't be here at this time. But Paul gives Timothy some words that are very helpful because he says, don't let him despise you for your youth, but he doesn't leave it at that. He tells Timothy how to do this. Look at what he says. He says, but set the believers an example. And here's how you're going to set the example, Timothy. And this is what we should hear no matter what our age is. He says, do it in this way. Number one, be an example in your speech. So the way you talk, not just in preaching, but just normal. But also in conduct, in love, in faith, and in purity. What's Paul telling Timothy here? Timothy, if you go out and you teach and you preach God's word, but you also live it out, these people will have nothing to say against you. They'll have no, no footing, no ground to stand on, to sit there and, and to say something negative about you because your life will be shown to be true. That you actually believe what you're teaching, that you're doing your best to strive to live this life out. And so he's telling Timothy here, be a faithful Christian in all areas of your life and take this as an important matter. It's very difficult for people to question your leadership when you are faithfully living out that Christian life. Now you can take this to other contexts. You know, some of you might be wanting a job promotion or whatever it might be. Are you being a good worker? Are you actually living your life in a way at your work to where people can't come against you with accusations? And so when you stand for the job promotion, there's really nothing negative there for them to say. See, a lot of it falls on you to do that. And you should be that way. But when it's like, well, you show up late to work at least once a week. You leave early another day every week. Your lunch seems to keep getting longer. We can't fully trust you all the time. When you say you're going to do something, it's not actually happening. You see, why would they give you the promotion? But if you're the employee that they would want you to be, and they don't have anything, it makes it a lot more difficult then for them to pass you up. I'm not saying they're not going to, but it makes it a lot more difficult. And that's what Paul's telling to Timothy. It'll be really hard for your church members and for your church family, Timothy, to come at you and say, well, you're young, you don't know what you're talking about, when everything about you points to the fact you must know what you're talking about, you're living it out faithfully. God is working in your life and you're striving to live this life that he has called us to. Now, obviously, we all fail at times, and we all struggle. And I think this is a word for all of us as in ministry, especially for pastors, is it's very important for pastors to live out their life faithfully to God as they're preaching the word of God. It's sad, isn't it, when you see another headline of another pastor who's fallen morally. Now, what that pastor normally says, at least this is what I hear, is I'm just a sinner like everybody else. Forgive me. Pastors really need to be held to a higher standard. As they approach that pulpit to preach the word of God, they need to understand that their life does impact. Their life does matter. And if a pastor's out there living his life contrary to the word of God, then his preaching really is in vain. Because it's not true. It's this double standard taking place there. And I think, again, we can learn in our own Christian lives, even though you might not be a pastor or not a pastor probably, of how that can be true in yours as well. As you share the gospel with a family member and you wonder, why in the world don't they listen to me? Well, what about your life? What about your life? 
Or some of you are just trying to win people over in your family by your life. And you think, oh, if I just have good conduct, they'll know I'm a Christian and they'll want to be a Christian, but you never talk about the faith to them. Well, that don't make sense either, right? And so we can see how this can apply, not just to pastors, but to Christians as well. So Paul encourages Timothy there, don't let them despise you for your youth, but set an example. Set an example as a believer. Well, then we move on to verse 13. And here we see Timothy's tasks, what Paul tells him to do. And this is very helpful. So Paul wants to come back to this church. He wants to encourage this church. Probably when Paul gets back to this church, Timothy's going to be pushed aside a little bit because Paul is here who started the church. The people are going to look forward to that. And Paul tells Timothy, listen, Timothy, here's your tasks. This is what you're to do as a pastor. This is your role. Until I come, do this. Devote yourself to the public reading of Scripture, to exhortation, and to teaching. These are the tasks that Paul gives to Timothy. Three things that have to be central in pastoral ministry. And I would say if they're not the central things, then you have something other than pastoral ministry taking place in the church. The first is this, the public reading of the word. I think there's a couple reasons that Paul says this. Uh, one is that the word is to be central in the life of the church. It's what drives us. And this must remain so. It's why we try to read scripture a lot in our services. We want you to hear it. Uh, we believe, I believe, that as you hear the word of God, uh, God uses that in your life and in your heart. So you need to hear the word of God read out loud together. As we all sit here under it, and hearing what it has to say. And so like this morning, it's kind of sobering to hear that from Matthew, right? That good seed's out there, but then the deceiver went out and planted bad seed. And really, what's he talking about? Even in the life of the church, that's the case. Amongst us right now are those who are truly Christians, saved by God's grace. There's also others who are not. Some of you very willingly, you're like, I don't really believe in this. Some of you may be deceiving yourselves and thinking that you are you've never really fully trusted in Christ. It's something else. That's a sobering thing to sit under and to listen to as a congregation together. It's one thing to read it in your room by yourself. But as you sit here amongst other people, it makes you start to think, right? Well, it's because God's word works. And so we, we come and we sit under this. Well, there's another reason I think that Paul would do this. Another very practical reason is nobody in the church would have had a Bible. So it was the only time they could hear the word. It was the only time they would hear it is when it was read as they sat together under it. And so uh, this would be another reason uh, for that. And so I think as we see something in this passage, we need to never grow tired of hearing the word of God. Uh, we, shouldn't, we shouldn't get bored with it. It should be something that we listen to and that we allow God to use in our lives and in our hearts. And let's be honest. I'll be just as honest as I'm asking you to be. I get how it can get boring. I get, I get how the things that, what I'm learning more and more as I do get older, I'm almost out of the age bracket of 30 to 40, getting close. <clears throat> the things that God has called us to do are boring for most people. And, and that's including church people. Listen, you, I need you to sit under the word of God being read. All right. I need you to sit and listen to a pastor preach to you every week for like 40 minutes. Okay. We're going to stand together and we're going to sing together. What? 
Okay. Kind of boring. You know, it's just it's kind of lame. Oh, yeah. Another one. I need you guys to gather together and pray together. What? Are you serious? Yeah. Oh, oh, I also need you to sit and watch somebody get dunked underwater once in a while. All right. Oh, and then you're going to have a meal together. All right, it's getting good. You're just going to eat a little cracker and drink a little cup. Listen, that, those are the things that God has ordained for us to do. And, and a lot of times, I think where we start to get guilty is we start to treat it as if it's boring. And so you start to hear things from people in the congregation who are like, Pastor, we kind of need to start jazzing things up a little bit. I think the congregation is getting bored. What, they're getting bored with the things God's told us to do? Yeah. Now I say that, joining with you. It, I can get bored with it. When Scott prays one of his super long prayers that he loves to do in the morning, my mind can go in different places. I'm not lying. I'm telling you the truth. We're human, and that happens. But what Paul is saying here to Timothy, listen, what he's telling him is, don't fall for what the false teachers are saying. Don't get caught up in the myths and the genealogies. That stuff's not important. This is what is important. Sitting under the word of God and hearing it preached. Sitting under the word of God and just listening to it be read. Bowing together to pray. These are the things that mark the church and give it strength. And I can jump on a little hobby horse here for a second. Did you know on Wednesday nights we pray together? And right now, that's where I get my biggest complaint from church people. How boring it is. Can't we do something else? Can't we do something a little more exciting? It's like we gather together to pray. We're only there for 45 minutes. And you're telling me that this isn't good enough and worthy of your time. What? Prayer? As the body of Christ together? And again, I know that was a little hobby horse there. But the things of God are the things of God. And we should take them very seriously. And that's what Timothy's being told here. Continue to read scripture in public. Then he says, but also exhortation. This exhortating, this exhorting people from what the scripture says. So what did we read together? Now it is time that the church is called to be their pastor to tell them this is what this scripture is saying and this is what it means. And again, exhorting is not an easy word. It's a tough word. It's a strong word. It's much like commanding. Tell the people what God's word says and what needs to be done. Let them know what needs to be done. This isn't a suggestion. This is the truth. I've told you this before. One of the hardest things to do is to stand here and tell you or to tell anybody what you need. Because you look at me and you say, I know what I need. Have you ever been in that position before in your life? You take your kid and you're like, you need to eat this chicken breast, this corn, and this potato. And they look at you and they say, I need to eat that chocolate bar. Have you ever been there before? And you say, no, you need to eat this. And they say, no, no, I need to eat the chocolate. And it's hard to convince them, isn't it? 
and they get pretty frustrated. And maybe then you force them to eat it. Well, here's the thing. I don't have the privilege to force you to take this word and actually do it. But the job that has been given to the pastor is to tell people who think they know what they need what they really need. Like the fact that this morning, there's some of you in here, what you really need is to be forgiven by God through Christ. But you sit here and you say, no, I don't. I desperately tell you, no, you do. Because if you reject that, then what we read in Matthew is you're the weeds. You're one of the ones who's going to be picked and burnt and not be part of the kingdom of God. Because the only way you can be a part of the kingdom of God is through trust in Christ. That he is your savior and that what he did on the cross was for you so that you could be forgiven of your sins. And if you sit here this morning and you just take my word as some suggestion, well then you have no hope. Because the Bible tells us that's the only way. But I know that as you sit there, and you, I know that you could be thinking, that's your interpretation. That's your thought. There's a lot of other people who would say something different. And you're right, there are a lot of other people who would say something different. But I hope that I come to you this morning proclaiming the truth of God's word and telling you, beyond everything you think you need in this life, there is nothing more precious than your need for Christ. And without him, nothing else matters. Nothing else in this word matters. That's exhortation. But then he also says teaching. Continue to teach them. Now, the way I take this is taking time to study to be able to tell the church what the passage is saying. And it takes a lot of work. I know in Sunday school this morning, our youth talked about pastors and one of the resounding things was that it was a good job because it's only one day a week I had a teacher tell me that one of our teachers told me that thankfully my daughter was in there and was like no I think my dad goes to work more than one day a week uh so she stuck up for me but one of the important tasks of the pastor and I get asked this all the time what do you do during the week a big chunk of my week is studying that's what it is Taking these verses that I'm reading this morning, verses 11 to 16, reading them and getting books and spending time praying, talking with the other pastors in the office and saying, we we want to teach what this is actually saying. I I don't want to tell you what I think it might say or what I hope it says. What does it say? And then what does it mean for us in our lives personally, but also as the church in general? And I found this to be hard work, at least it is for me. Maybe there's some pastors out there who can do it much quicker. But for me, every sermon takes about three days. It's about three full days of studying and prep so that I don't get caught up in the speculation and the myths and genealogies that are so easy to get caught up in every time you stand up to preach. And so Paul's encouraging Timothy, read the word publicly, exhort them with what it says. And the only way that you can do this is by teaching them, but you have to know what it says yourself. So be trained and be prepared and be ready. Now this task can get difficult and it can get hard, and so Paul, I say, gives Timothy some motivation in verse 14, and I hope to tell you why I think it's motivation. He says, do not neglect the gift you have, which was given you by prophecy when the council of elders laid their hands on you. Again, you might be wondering, why would you call this motivation? Well, Paul tells Timothy here 
to remember why he is doing what he's doing. Remember why you have been called to be a pastor. And what he says here is, number one, you've been called by God. But how do we know that Timothy's been called by God? And I want you to catch this. Because the church called Timothy. You say, what? Timothy knows he's been called to be the pastor of that church by God because God has spoken through the church when the church called Timothy to be the pastor. And so all those times when Timothy would want to quit because of the false teachers or because of the scrutiny that he was facing because of his age or whatever it might be, again, there's no doubt in my mind that oftentimes what Timothy would think is there's got to be better jobs out there. I would say that many of you have thought this before. Some of you probably have jobs that don't stay at work. They go home with you. A lot of you probably have that. And I have no doubt you fantasize about, wouldn't it be good just to punch a clock, work eight hours, punch it and go home and never think about the place again until six o'clock in the morning the next day? Wouldn't that be an awesome feeling? But then you think, but then I won't get paid as much. Oh yeah, I forgot about money. I need money. And that's why you keep going, because you need money. And that's fine. But for most pastors, money isn't the thing that's making them stay because it's not much in most churches. And so what makes them stay? Well, Paul says, Timothy, this is what must make you stay. Don't for a second neglect the gift that God has given you. See, how is a pastor often called? Well, hopefully a pastor is called because people see in the life of that man a truth that they're living the Christian faith and that God has given them a gift to teach, exhort, and to preach the word of God. And so if, if they have been given this gift and the church has recognized this gift and then the church has come together and has decided we want you to be our pastor. And so they have set that man aside to be their pastor. Then that becomes the motivation oftentimes when you want to quit is no, God has called me to this because the church has spoken these same people who are driving me crazy are the same people who have called me to stand there and preach to them every week, to share with them the love of God, to help them to know the truths of God's word and what they need in their life. And so Paul is helping Timothy here to remember what his motivation is. Timothy, God has put you here. God has called you to this, and God has given you a gift that the church has recognized and they've set you apart for this task. So, so keep going. Keep going. Keep, keep being faithful. Keep, keep reading the word of God. Keep exhorting the people. Keep, keep teaching the people. Keep doing this work that you have been called to. And do it faithfully. So let me go on to verse 15. He says, practice these things. Immerse yourself in them so that all may see your progress. This here is part of the neglecting your gift we talked about a little bit earlier, but Timothy's called here by Paul to work hard. He says, practice these things. And not just that, immerse yourself in them. Remember, this church called Timothy because they saw a gift in him. And so Paul says, keep working on your gift. Be in the word, study it, know it more, understand it more. Keep teaching, improve on teaching and your teaching ability. Also, in your life, live a holy life. Keep improving on that. Keep trying to serve. Keep trying to honor daily. Look to God for your hope, for your joy, and for your peace. Because people are watching you, Timothy, as the pastor. 
And why do this? Well, he says, so that people can see your progress. It needs to be evident to the church that Timothy is working on his craft. It's hard for, again, for people in the church to not like the pastor when the pastor is working hard on these things and the, and the church sees that the pastor is working hard to be the pastor that God has called him to be. And it's the same with you in your ministry. Again, this is speaking specifically to pastors, but whatever your ministry is in the life of the church, of Sunday school teacher or uh, I don't know, the different things that we asked for help with this week, nursery, hospitality. There's all different kinds of ministries within the church. Whatever you're a part of, work hard at it. Do it well. That way when people get frustrated, you know, and they're like, what is happening here? But they see, but that person's working really hard. They're really striving, and they are getting better. Right? That just helps the church as a whole when we do that. And so, of course, complaints are going to happen. They're always going to happen. But we cannot let them question our teaching, our work ethic, and our character. Because when these are questioned, then it's time to seek forgiveness. When a pastor, when it's, when it's seen that, I don't think they're working hard. I don't think that they're doing this. Well, then that's the pastor's job to seek forgiveness for that sin, because they should be. But otherwise, Paul's encouraging Timothy here, right? Practice these things. Immerse yourself in them. Work hard and let people see that you are working hard. And then lastly, we see in verse 16, Timothy's goal. The goal that is set for Timothy. Keep a close watch on yourself and on the teaching. Persist in this, for by so doing, you will save both yourself and your hearers. I think one of the things that I've been trying to do since I've been the pastor here, which is four years now, which is a lot, is try to help us see that the most important thing for me to do is this. I really want you to see that. I don't think I have everybody convinced. I don't know if I'll ever have anybody convinced. But I will share this. Look at what verse 16 says hangs in the balance on this teaching that is happening now. And I hope that this will convince you of how important it is. Paul tells Timothy, persist in this, why? For by so doing, you will save both yourself and your hearers. That's big words. What hangs on the line when a pastor is teaching, whether he's doing it well or he's doing it poorly? The salvation of himself and those who are listening. Now, if this is the case, then there is absolutely nothing more important than the teaching from the pulpit on Sunday mornings and in our classes. Nothing. And so what is Paul getting at here? What is, he, what is he telling Timothy here? Because we know that what Paul can't be saying that the pastor can save somebody. That's not scriptural. Paul teaches against that in so many other places. We know that scripture teaches us salvation is by grace through faith in Jesus Christ alone. So that begs the question, what does Paul mean here? What is he saying that we save ourselves and others? Well, in God's kingdom, what God has chosen to do is God has chosen to use us his people, as his instruments to share with others how, it, how we become saved, what that means, to show people the love of Jesus. It is our task. We know that as the church. Now, preachers specifically are called to be faithful in the gift that God has given them and to be a gift to the church to teach and to preach what is true and what is right according to the word of God. And it is the preacher who does this consistently, 
And the Bible tells us that it is through the preaching of the word that people hear the word and that they trust in the word and that they are saved. In Romans chapter 10, verse 14 and 15, it says, How then will they call on him, on him in whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in him of whom they have never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they are sent? As is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. You see, we just simply cannot escape the fact that God has chosen to reveal himself through his word. And what he has done is he has given the church his word and a call to go forth now and share it. We as the church have been given the word of God and the task to go tell people the word of God. And so this task that we've been giving is to go and to offer salvation to people through the blood of Christ. And nobody else has this task. There's no other organization in this world that has this task. This is, if you want to know a little insight in it, this is one of my struggles with uh, parachurch ministries. Ministries that have set themselves up, but they're not a part of the church. They're just a ministry. That's actually not a scriptural thing. We don't see that. God has established the church to go forth and to share the gospel with people. And sadly, the church has sometimes pushed that aside, and now those parachurch groups have picked it up. But it's really the job of the church to do this. We've been given the word of God, and it's our task to take this seriously. Not just for the sake of ourselves, but for others as well. We know that as the gospel is shared in the pulpit, for some, as I already mentioned, it means nothing. To them, the gospel is just some story or maybe even some disgusting thought that they don't want to think about again. But to those of us being saved by God, it's the sweetest thing we've ever heard. Now the question is, how can there be such a difference in the same room? How as I preach the gospel this morning or share with you about Christ, how, how for some of you is it your hope, your peace, your joy, and you hang on every word and it's like honey to you? But how is it that the person next to you finds it disgusting? finds it offensive. How can there be such a difference? Well, there's such a difference because we know it's only God who saves, not man who saves. It's God who makes it sweet to us. Because without that, without God working in our lives to make his word sweet to us, we're still just, the Bible tells us, an enemy of God. We're still just a rebel against God. We don't care about his word, we shun his word. But when God pricks our heart, when God softens our heart and opens our eyes to the truth, that's when this word becomes sweet to us. And so we see here Paul calling Timothy and pastors now forever to be faithful because just as a bad pastor can lead people astray, a good and faithful one can lead people to righteousness. It breaks my heart to see the state of the church in America we are going downhill very fast, very rapidly. And I would say the leading cause of that is not bad church members. It's horrible pastors. It's horrible pastors who do not preach and teach the word of God. That's not their main focus anymore. That's not their agenda. We have too many pastors today who just want to be a CEO. They just want to lead some big organization. That is their focus. No pastor is a leader of this organization. Jesus is the head of the church. 
He is the great shepherd. And it's our job as pastors to just simply tell the people that God has given us, here's your great shepherd. Here's what he says. Here's what he's done for us. Let's follow him. Let's love him. Let's serve him. And so when God saves us, it's this lifelong journey, isn't it? It's, the Bible tells us it's this lifelong journey of perseverance. And so what a good pastor will do is he'll continue to remind the congregation that God has given him to remain steadfast in the hope of the gospel. To continue to trust in the work of the Holy Spirit in their life. To continue to be faithful. If I dare say it, what I need to encourage you to keep doing, and I feel like this is what, keep doing these boring things that God's called us to do. Keep waking up on Sunday morning and driving here. Keep doing that. Come here at nine o'clock and be a part of a Bible study. You say, but that's early and Sunday is just like a nice day to sleep in. I have personally found all days are a nice day to sleep in. Every single one of them. And I know that you say, yeah, but it's just, it's just not that exciting. But it's this teaching that you sit under that helps you in your salvation as you continue to persevere and to trust and to lean on Christ day in and day out as you gather in here with these people and sing together and listen to me preach again week after week after week, it is the word of God that continues to sustain you, that continues to prove out your salvation and the work that God has done in your life. This is why we have passages that say, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. This isn't saying that I'm earning it, but it's saying those who God has saved by his grace will be strengthened to persevere till the end. And sadly, it's so heartbreaking. We all could name people that we have seen not persevere till the end. They used to sit in a pew, maybe next to you or maybe at some other church. They used to talk about how they loved God, but they just seemed to have drifted away. And now... God, they might say something, oh yeah, I'm a Christian, but when you look at their life, there's no evidence of this. They don't long to be with the people of God. They don't long to sit under the teaching of the word of God. They don't long to hear from his word. They don't long to serve him and to honor him in their life. And the question then is like, what is happening here? Is this person a, a Christian or not a Christian? Well, that's a question that you and I honestly can't judge. I don't know, honestly. But I know what the Bible says is you need to keep persevering. And the way to persevere is to continue to do the things that God has called us to do, of which now Paul is telling Timothy, keep doing these things, Timothy. Read the word, exhort, and teach. And we know in other places in Scripture it says, and sing together, baptize, and observe Lord's Supper together. These are the things that continue to give us strength and to remind us whose we are. You're not going to find it in any other place than in the church. And my goal for us as a church, as Monroe Missionary Baptist Church, as long as I'm the pastor here, is to keep doing these boring things. And I know I'm calling them boring, and I shouldn't, because they're the things that God has given us. But I'm saying it's boring because I think that's how we often think of them. We live in a world of a lot of entertainment. There's a lot of exciting things out there. One of the best feelings in the world for me is hitting a golf shot that just, you don't even feel it. 
You swing and you hit the ball and it soars right where you want. There's very little more exciting in the world to me than that. And I could be doing that every day and just be happy as a lark. But I can tell you this, it's not gonna help me persevere in my faith one minute or one second. So to think that I should put that above the things that God has called me to, to help me persevere in my faith so that on the day when the wheat and the tares are pulled up, I'm a wheat. And where God says, you are my child because you've, of what Christ has done in your life, you are covered in his blood and you, you have his righteousness. Well done, good and faithful servant. And he's not saying well done because Tim, you know, you really just stuck with it. Good job. No, it's, it's not that. It's well done, good and faithful servant. You fully trusted in the work of Christ. That's what you're supposed to do. I'll give a little plug, and this is how I'll end. I'd really encourage you to come back tonight. Tonight I have the privilege of preaching again, and we're gonna preach out of uh, the book of Matthew and where Jesus says, come to me all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. That's probably the biggest problem I see in church people today is no rest. Definitely in those who are lost is no rest. Tonight, my hope is to point us to the truth that rest actually is found in Christ. But it's a rest where you are surrendering that his work is enough for you. And that's hard to do. It's hard to do for us people who think it's about us and it's about me. What can I do? How can I prove? How can I go? How can I achieve? How can I do these things? Which has just been pushed into us our whole lives. Jesus says, oh, It's about what I have done. And when you trust in me fully, my rest is yours because it's not about you working and striving anymore. It's a complete rest in me. I hope this morning as we look through 1 Timothy that you've seen the truth of God's word. I hope that we've been faithful to exhort it, to teach it, and to read it together. And I hope that God has used it in your life in some way. Let's bow together, let's pray. I wanna give you an opportunity to respond to the word of God this morning. And I want to ask you as well during this time, and it's hard to get away from this in the book of 1 Timothy because Paul is writing to a pastor and he's giving Timothy so much instructions. I would beg of you this week, but especially during this time, as you respond to the word of God, would you you be willing to pray for your pastors? I don't ask for that much. I actually get tired of seeing people talk about how hard it is to be a pastor, and it's embarrassing when I read that and different things. I think we all have hard jobs. But there is a reason why most pastors quit after three years. And I really believe that right now, our church has been blessed with four good pastors. And I know them, and they love you. And they love you so much that they want you to hear the word of God often. They don't want you to see their personalities and just think that they're the best friends and the best people. They would love that, but that's not their main focus. Their focus is for you to have the word of God, to know it and to love it and to love your savior and the work that he's done for you. And so would you pray for us that we would be faithful to that? Would you pray that we wouldn't allow outside voices to impact the main things that God has called us to.
because that's such an easy temptation to fall into. And so I hope you'll be faithful to pray for us, that we can be faithful to you as we teach and preach and exhort. God, we thank you for your word today. God, I thank you for this church family. I thank you for the love that they consistently show me day in and day out. But even more than that, I thank you for the love that I see that they have for you. God, how so often I see fellow church members ministering to each other, caring for each other. I I hear from fellow church family members of their heart and passion for the lost in this community. And God, I'm thankful for that. God, I pray that you would help us to honor you with our lives, to, to set an example for what it means to be a believer, not trusting in ourselves, but trusting in you and the power of the Holy Spirit. But God, we know that what you do is you change us. As was demonstrated this morning in that baptism, we were buried in our death and in our sin, and we are raised to walk in a new life. And so God, help us to do that. We, we know we fall short, we know we sin, but we also know that we have a loving Father who continues to forgive us of our sin. <clears throat> so God, we ask that you would forgive us of our sin, and God, help us to walk in a way that is holy. Again, not so that we can be proclaimed about and shouted out, but no, that it points people to you. And help us to have the courage to be able to share with other people the goodness that you have shown us in Christ Jesus. And God, yes, there are many people who will shun us and they don't want to hear about that, and that's okay. But God, there are some, your word tells us, who will hear that message of hope and you will open their eyes to that truth. You will soften their hearts and they, because of your grace by faith, will be saved and forgiven of their sin. And so God, I'm thankful that you continue to do that work. You continue to save those who are lost and God, you use us as your instruments in that. And so God, help us take very seriously our walk with you. Strive to be more like Christ each and every day, but leaning and resting in his accomplished work for us. God, we thank you that we're a part of your family. I again thank you that I'm a part of Monroe Missionary Baptist Church. And these people who are here this morning and those who couldn't make it, God, I'm thankful that we have each other and that we're unified not on just where we live or anything like that, but we're unified because... We've been saved by the blood of Jesus. So God, help us to be reminded of that regularly. We ask in Jesus' name, amen.